filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So a couple of friends of mine uh, last week opened up a beer, wine, and spirit store in Brookland in the district. Um, they're called Wardman Wines. They are not a sponsor of the show as of yet, but I stopped by there today to pick up some wine for my birthday this week and uh, peruse, just, just not peruse, but glance through their, their beer section and, and saw something I couldn't resist. And... Uh, I, the story is actually hilarious. Uh, on the bottle, it reads, Once upon a time, a man walked into a bar where a friend of ours was tending the taps. He tried to order an eagle claw fist, but got it wrong and asked instead for an evil crawfish. When we heard the story after much laughter, we knew one day we'd make the beer. Finally, here it is. Uh, evil crawfish. This is not what are you drinking. I know, but I am drinking evil crawfish, and that story was so good. And And it occurred to me that we... That that sounds like a good beer name is the new sounds like a good band name. I can buy it. Used to be anytime some com- random combination of words is like that should be a band, and now it's going to be that should be a beer. I don't know if that's better or worse. What will bands do? Bands will they just will... continue naming themselves like progressively less interesting words like the blank, and it the word is less interesting with time. To, until you get to a point where you're just like, the was. <laughs> well, I mean, we've or already had the the and the who. But and, those and are the, trying to be and, clever. And the band. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And the cars. And, it's It's been a while. I think the pendulum might go back that way. Or we'll go back even further right. to, you know, the very early rock and roll days where it's some guy, the whatever's. Okay. It's going to be named after front men again. Hey, what hey, about, welcome um, in. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Just No, no, no. I was going to say, what about the band um, uh, Chiverches, who I'm pronouncing their name as spelled because they spelled it with a V instead of a U, so they get they what they deserve. It, it's all capital letters, so it's like a Roman U. No, no, no. no first it's of the all, all capital letters, I, I, I ignore any intentional stylization, um, so... Um, for example, the the movie uh, Blade Three Trinity is not Blade Three or Blade Trinity. It is Blade Three Trinity. Just because just because you say, "Oh, it's a stylized graphic," that's the name of the movie. You said it, so you're stuck with it. And so Chiverches is stuck as Chiverches, and and they can't do anything about it except change it to a vowel. That it so is. you don't you don't they buy want to be the churches. Th- call yourself churches. you. No, they're not Romans. This isn't Latin. If they can speak Latin, I'll, I'll, I'll reconsider. If all of them, every single one, can speak Latin. <laughs> hey, hey, they welcome have to come in. To my house to do it. This is filibuster. I, I used to be able to speak Latin. Are you in the band? I could be. You're not. <laughs> we're never gonna get on the rails, are we? No. What? What rails? How many times am I gonna say it tonight? I wonder. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, Here's the Black and thing. Red United podcast. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> 
I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by the interrupting monkeys, Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com. That is where you can find us talking about DC United, MLS more broadly, and soccer even more broadly than that. We've got a good show for you tonight. We've got some uh, updates with regard to DC United's roster and the stadium project down in Buzzard Point. We're going to talk some soccer on television, and we're going to do our usual end-of-year awards and and player reviews. Uh, we're going to keep those going. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So I'm down here in Radford, Virginia. I'm at my in-laws, and I don't have my usual drinking accoutrement with me. But uh, my in-laws did buy uh, some Southern Comfort eggnog, just it doesn't. It's not eggnog with Southern Comfort in it. It is just Southern Comfort branded nog with no alcohol in it. So I just used that and poured some uh, Evan Williams in it and created some regular eggnog. You know, the point is to pour Southern Comfort into the Southern Comfort branded non-alcoholic nog. Right, but right, but Southern Comfort isn't actually good. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You just you, you will not be a slave to branding, Ben Bromley. No, you rebel. No, yeah. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, well, I, I guess the the um, normally I was I I would have a beer of some kind or some sort of wintry drink, but it is not really winter weather at all. No. It's like spring. Um, Welcome to April. Um, so I thought to myself that I wanted to make some sort of experimental drink. I was going. I was looking up. I found some things uh, that sounded pretty good, and then I left myself with like 90 seconds to do all this. And I went to look for my cocktail shaker, and it was dirty from the last time I made a drink. And what I made last time was not going to go well with what I made this time. So I ditched all that and made myself a bullet rye with uh, ginger ale. I, for once in my life, actually bought soda. I have ginger ale in my house. It's like the first time in. I don't know how long that I've had soda in the house. Um, so I'm putting it to use to drink alcohol. So that's, uh, you know, to add to the health factor involved. I was going to do something with, like, lemon juice um, and these ingredients and maybe some more other stuff or maybe, like, chopped ginger and make, like, a ginger simple syrup. I was really going to be ambitious, and I left myself with no time, and then at the first hurdle I gave up immediately um, because I hadn't washed something that I should have washed. So... Par for the <laughs> As I said earlier, I am drinking an evil crawfish. It is an imperial red IPA from Cloud Shoes, and it is, you know, I really bought it solely because of the label and the name. So Ben is not a slave to branding. I, however, might be. It the the label is incredible. It's got a crawfish in like a hooded cloak looking at a wanted poster of itself. Um, and there might be fire happening as well. It's it's a fantastic label. It's it's from Clown Shoes. I think it's a Massachusetts beer. Um, and it's, it's tasty. It's 9% alcohol by volume. It's big and it tastes big. And it's red and hoppy and... Pretty good. I know Ben, you don't you don't love the the trend toward more hops, but they seem to be they I mean, seem to have been I, thoughtful with their hops, not like just hop- randomly throwing everything together. Yes, I like hoppy beers, but yes, I don't like hops in beers that shouldn't have hops, like porters or saisons. 
which two of which I've had recently, and it's unholy. How do you feel about experimenting with different malts in styles that are hoppy? Like this one is a red IPA, which which happens sometimes, but usually not at the imperial level. Sure, if it's if it's if it's in the IPA family, even broadly, totally fine. But I don't know. I I've, I just have difficulty with yeah adding hops to beers that are not traditionally hoppy. There are plenty of things you can do within the IPA family. You can do a black IPA. You can do a red IPA. Right. Leave your IPA. Leave your hops in IPAs. Don't give me, and just don't war, Don't. It's mostly like lack of warning. It's like the saison is a saison. It's not supposed to be hoppy, and you're surprising me with hops. I mean, it's going to have some hops in a saison, but it's not going to well, be. Well, yeah, but I mean, dry. Like saison is usually just... like, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The, it's not a barrel full of hops and also a little bit of liquid and other things. Um, is that the I, name of a beer? No, that's not the a name of the beer that I know of. A barrel of hops. Be. And a barrel full stuff. of hops and water and other stuff. <laughs> in like really small text, <laughs> be barrel full be, of hops. That would be actually the kind of brewery that I would end up with because my names would be <laughs> extraordinarily on the nose. You'd be like the – and your beers would be white with black label. Yes, just black like writing. hand scrawled. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Well, I was thinking just like impact font, just like block okay, letters, yeah. like like in textbooks when we were a kid. Like it, you right. remember the health textbooks? Everything was white with black labels. That's yeah. what you would. Yeah, it would just you know turn on your uh, your word, Microsoft Word and whatever font happened to be on at the time. That's that's the label for this beer. Let's just get it out of here and move on, please. You got um, new computers. I don't know why much more up to date font. I don't know why I would be so impatient. Um, the other option, obviously, would be to put out beers labeled with wingdings. <laughs> <laughs> Just so random talk, characters, so, not not actual letters. Wingdings entirely too much on this podcast. So let's I move think on. I don't think you should use the word we there. I think I think it's you talking about wingdings it's entirely like, too it's much. Mostly me. The concept of wingdings amuses me to no end. It has never made sense to me in my entire they're, life. They're just it pre- didn't make sense they're pre-emoji. No, but they didn't even like mean anything. It was just a bunch of like junk that you would have to decipher if you put something in wingdings. Like if you scroll down and accidentally left it on wingdings, you're like, "What? What even is this?" And then you'd have to go change the font. Why? Why did wingdings ever exist? I think there's actually a documentary about why wingdings existed. I've seen Helvetica. I've seen that because I lived with somebody that was into that sort of thing, and he put it on, and I was in the room and was too lazy to leave. We've talked about Helvetica too recently. Let's not get back into Helvetica. Apparently those are our fonts of choice. Here on <laughs> Helvetica or Wingdings. <laughs> and I mentioned Impact, so so we're all over the place. Uh, let's let's turn to, you know, the actual content of the show. Steve Goff of the Washington Post sat down last week with DC United general managing partner Jason Levian had a wide-ranging interview. Uh, the thing that I think jumped out to most of us was when they talked about the uh, the stadium down in Buzzard Point. Uh, Levian says it is on track for 2018. They expect to get the site from the city who has acquired all the land and is doing environmental cleanup uh, that they're required to do under the agreement right now. They expect to, or the team expects to, to get possession of the land from the city in late summer of next year. So we are a matter of months away from that. Um, 
big thing that came out was the seating capacity. Jason Levian says it will some be somewhere between 18 and 23,000 seats. It's not going to be any bigger than that. Under the agreement with the city, they had to make at least a 17,000 seat stadium. Levian says they're going to exceed that, which I think makes all of us happy. We want a big enough stadium for everyone to, to fit in. Um, but because of the constraints of the site, they they may have to keep capacity for now at least as low as 18,000. They're trying to squeeze as many seats as they can, as they can into the place without sacrificing you know the quality of the experience for the people who go. So it's uh, it's still up in the air. Apparently, they expect to have a final design in the next 60 days or so. Whether we'll see it in that time, I will point out the the event at Pinstripes is is you know in that range the the season ticket holder event they do every year where you get to meet the team see the new jerseys and everything it's at a bar called Pinstripes in Georgetown with bocce and bowling and lots of other stuff whether they'll have a new design finalized by then or not I don't know it would be cool if they did but Ben what do you make of the seating capacity issues 18 to 23,000 does that sound about right to you or or do they need to more drastically revise the design to make sure that it's closer to 23 than 18 I mean yeah I mean if they think they can get 20 to 23 rather than 18 to 20 that's uh, initially that's obviously what you need to do I think 18 is a a little too small for what they're going to be aiming for um if they really want to make it a big time stadium, I mean, they, I think they've got to get it above twenty thousand. Um, if 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 they can make it in any way whatsoever, um, I think there is something just about that number that just getting over that mark is is it, it means something in people's minds. It is a it is a large milestone and just. Getting it if it's under twenty thousand, it seems a little more minor league than something over twenty thousand. Yeah, there is a psychological <laughs> jump there. Damn our base ten counting system. Um, he he did say Jason did uh, or Jason Levine did say that they expect to sell out the stadium basically wherever it happens to be in that range up to twenty three thousand. It's just a matter of physically fitting the seats into the space without creating a you know a situation where it it everyone is crammed into too little space or uh, they have to compromise on sight lines so i i believe him when he says that anyway i believe him when he says that the the team is going to go over uh, their the minimum financial commitment they made to the city where the city would spend $150 million acquiring and preparing the land and the team would spend $150 million building the actual stadium. He says they're going to easily go over that. And I don't see any reason to disbelieve him at this point. And I think that's good news for the team and for fans because the owners are, are putting in uh, the investment there. Uh they did say he also did say that they want to have a roof as much of a roof as possible and they're trying to figure that out jason should that be really high on their list of priorities because i know a lot of people when they see these aerial shots of stadiums the one and only thing they seem to care about a lot of fans is whether there's a roof that goes all the way around 
and whether specifically there's a roof over the supporter section. Should that be really high up on the team's list of concerns? Uh, I mean, the, the the amount of complaint about some of the renderings that came out without as many um, sides being covered, it surprises me, but I mean, if you're... If you're putting this kind of money and effort and political capital and everything into a stadium, you do need to listen to a certain extent to the people that you know are going to be there. Um, I do. I, I do remember uh, not too long ago, not in this interview, but recently, there was something about how the roof was what eight or nine percent of cost of the stadium, something like that. It was. It was. It can be right. It was it was yeah. a huge chunk of the cost of the stadium, and that was it was a surprising factory. I, th- I think everyone that saw that was surprised. But I mean, none of us have built a stadium. I don't. I don't think there are any uh, people on the DC United Internet that have built a stadium before. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if you built a large stadium for a professional sports team, um, but I do think that you have to take that into account. That fans and a lot of a lot of fans, at least. Anecdotally, a lot of fans in the supporters groups seemed upset that they felt like the seats that they were going to be ending up in were going to be just out in the open, out in the elements, whether it's the sun of, you know, in the middle of summer, it, uh, baking under the sun or being under the rain or, you know, come, or, you know, early March, you, um, you know, we played the impact with, and Ann Ella Valencia was snow in the stadium. I mean, it wasn't snowing at the time, but it was there. Um in fall, you know, you could have sleet, you could have snow, whatever. Um, it, it's a volatile area weather-wise, and a roof would certainly be welcome. Um, I would certainly prefer, it, you know, if, if someone just came to me and said, look, we'll either put it on or not, I would say, okay, fine, you should put it on. It will help with atmosphere. Um, it keeps noise in. It. Um, one of my big things with the stadium has always been I don't really care about the views of the outside world because when you go to the stadium, the outside world kind of falls away. It's just you're here for this one thing, and that's it. And the roof will help contribute to that feeling. Um, but, you know, that's a lot of money we're talking about. If they're talking about going over $150 million easy and we're talking about you know, 10 15%, we're talking about $15, 16000000 million dollars. Um, it's not nothing. It's not, why don't you just put a roof on? It's like, why don't you spend 15, 16, $17 million on something? Um, when you think of it that way, it's a, it's a hard thing to just demand, but I mean, we're sports fans. So of course we're sitting around demanding, um, that people spend money that isn't ours that we don't have. Um, I don't think our listener base could afford to chip in for an extra roof as a group. Maybe they could, I don't know. Um, maybe someone out there has an extra million bucks sitting around and they want to say, hey, I'll buy a 1% stake in this thing if you let me build a roof on the supporter side. That would be amazing uh, if you wanted to do that. But I do hope that the team listened to that. I hope they heard those complaints and were aware that that was something they needed to adjust. Um, obviously, renderings are just renderings. We have to keep that in mind, too. Um, yeah, especially people, the, the renderings that are out there right now right, they, are there is the no, most preliminary type of rendering. They are there right. just to show the basic outlines of what they it's a concept it's all in the yeah air. it's a concept you know, the thing hasn't no one's put a shovel in the ground yet so we're not at a place where they've started building and they can't turn back um so hopefully they registered the amount of animosity towards a the stadium having one or two what was it two sides that had roof 
and then to the yeah, end. It was along the full length of both sidelines. Yes, but the, the end lines side of that. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, people were very upset, so hopefully the team registers that, but at the same time, I think at least I'm willing to understand if they say, look, we've spent all this money and to have to spend 25 or 30 million more to put roofs on the end lines as well um, is maybe not going to happen. Um, I'm still surprised. I still wanted, I do say I am still surprised that it would be that much money um, to do a roof. Um, but as I indicated before, I haven't done this before. I don't know how much a one quarter stadium roof costs for a soccer stadium. I've never priced that out. So uh, um, I'm not really speaking from a position of expertise. Of course I would like it. I think I don't know that there's anyone that would be against it if you just drop the financial side of it, but finances are part of reality and we're building the stadium in reality rather than in imagination land. So if they say we can't put any money into it and it, this just has to be how it has to be, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I know there are going to be people out there that are not okay and they're not going to be okay with it. Going back to the uh, capacity question, I looked up the average attendance um, for 2015 and exactly half of major league soccer teams had attendance above 20,000. The other half had attendance below 20,000. The Sounders had the way um, upwards of 44,000. The Rapids were in last uh, under 16,000. Uh, DC United was fourth from the bottom ahead of just the Rapids, the Fire, and FC Dallas. Um, Columbus Crew were also below 17,000. Uh, surprisingly, I think uh, Sporting Kansas City was in the bottom half of teams New York Red Bulls also in the bottom half of teams, um, and but both, a lot of teams were those up cases, through 20. In both of those cases, you're talking about a stadium where there's not much room to be above 20,000. What's Red Bull Arena's capacity, like 21,000? Yeah, uh, 21, so maybe 20. As far as a percentage of tickets sold, they've done an awesome job. Um, there's There's not much room there to go beyond it. So anytime right. in Sporting Kansas like, City, I think they 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 sell out basically every game. It's just right. you think the stadium feels bigger than it is. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. on TV. Um, anyway, because, well, because looks... that's like a, a perfect building basically. Um Yeah, exactly. You know, if if you yeah. ask me what what stadium I would just if you could if I could pick someone's stadium up and put if it you could down. Airlift. Um <laughs> I know a lot of people have talked about Red Bull Arena and Red Bull Arena is pretty impressive as far as it being a purely soccer building, um, there's not really like when you're in in the stands there, you don't really look around and feel like there's that much else going on, which appeals to me because that's the only thing I I, I don't want to be distracted. Um, I haven't been to um, Sporting Kansas City, I haven't been to that away game yet, but I'm told by people that have been that that's the same feeling there. Though they have a lot of bells and whistles going on, some of them are not even for fans. Um, yeah, when they're Fancy juice bar in the locker room and right, uh, like I mean that's what draws some of the players to Sporting Kansas City oh, yeah. because they and, don't have the the same advantages as some bigger markets do. No, so uh, they come in and say, "Look at our beautiful stadium and facilities," and that's something that hopefully will change for DC United because they can in years years to come when they try and sell a player on coming here who has options abroad, they can always say, "Look, this is our beautiful new stadium." The locker room is like this. This is where you're going to be looking at on a regular basis. Um, the training ground situation is going to have to change, but they've talked about how that's something they want to change. 
and oh. they're in talks with their I think Jason Levine said they were in active talks with the yeah. city over that, and, and they've yeah, also the city, had discussions Maryland, with Virginia yeah. and Maryland. Yeah. Um, so if they can build something up there that's more impressive than um, walking from RFK over to um, the RFK auxiliary fields, um, that's going to help a lot because the, a player keeps that in mind. They think, you know, this is going to be my day-to-day life. Um, and bad facilities, you look at it and you're like, I could get injured on this. Um, it's And it's also the other side is when they're really impressive. You can't help but think, like, this is a place that has – their, their head's in the right place. They're, they're focused on a lot of good things, and they're willing to spend on a lot of good things. And uh, that can change. You, you, it's, it becomes less. You don't have to sell yourself as much when you just bring, bring the player in, and he looks around, and he gets impressed by what he sees rather than you talking him into being impressed. So all of these things play into making this a better sports team in general and a better soccer team in MLS specifically. Uh, next up uh, in the in Goff's interview with Jason Levine was the roster. Well, actually, this was in the first part of the interview. The team is apparently in talks with Perry Kitchen now uh, to re-sign him for 2016 and hopefully beyond. Um, but they don't seem to be particularly close to putting pen to paper or Kitchen signing with anybody. He's kind of... I, I don't know if he's in active discussions with a lot of teams, if his agent's shopping around or what. I honestly don't know at this point. I know he did get his Lamborghini that he won, um, and he's got that now for the next went, year. Went with silver. He went with silver, yeah. Yes. Um, important important discuss, yeah, we're, discussion. We're here to discuss the important issues, guys. Um, the team, however, does need resolution on this situation sooner than later. Uh, they have to start planning for 2016 because they're less than two months from the start of preseason. So they, they really need to... Actually, they're they're less than two months now from... Or they're basically two months now from the first game against Karataro. Uh, so things are, are starting to... You know, this is where they, they need to get going. They do a player from Ligue 1. And yes, I'm going to say Ligue 1. Uh, in France, lined up as a replacement for him. Maybe they should sign him either way. Who knows? Uh, ben, what do you make of the situation with Perry Kitchen? Is something going to happen one way or the other, or are we just going to keep going in limbo for you know the next month? No, I don't think it's going to uh, be out there that long. I think at this point, like even though European windows aren't open yet, Perry should have a decent idea of what his value is in Europe if his agent is worth anything. So he should take this holiday season, these next this next week or so, and if he hasn't already, really figure out what he wants to do. Does he want to go to Europe? Does he want to stay in the U.S.? And basically, once the Christmas holidays passed, DC United should just be like. Yeah, we we need to move on if you're not coming back. So, if you don't tell us you're coming back now, we've got to we've got to make moves for us because, like I said, even though the windows aren't open, move deals are still being made before the windows are open. And if DC United doesn't move on this unnamed player in league on, somebody else may be able to snap him up. And you you can't let a player hold you out like that. So. 
Yeah, I think this may be. A I think I think case. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna happen. Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen in the next. It's gonna happen before the new year. I think even if we don't hear about it until afterwards, I think the decisions will be made internally before the new year. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks that if nothing has happened yet, and I think maybe something has been decided and it just hasn't been announced. But if I were in a decision-making role here, I would, you know, plan for the worst or plan for the worst and hope for the best. You know, sign the French player, or if he's French, the player from the French league. And um, if you get Perry back, great. If not, you know, uh, you you made arrangements for that eventuality. So if that means, you know, you have to let Halstead walk, then great. You get $300,000 in cap space back. If you have Halstead and Kitchen and another guy, great. You have lots of depth at the position because um, who knows what's happening with Arno. Further up in the midfield, DC United are apparently eyeing an Argentine playmaker in his mid-20s. Um, Dave Casper was in Argentina earlier this month. He Then he went to France. So all of this makes perfect sense when you look at his, his frequent flyer status. Jason, what do you make of DC United adding a playmaker? And do you think that refers specifically to the classic Argentine number 10? Or do you think this could be a more box-to-box type player with creative tendencies? Uh, It really could be either one. It's hard to say, um, not knowing anything about the player. Um, Argentine teams do tend to prefer to have a more traditional number 10, um, and that doesn't necessarily mean someone that doesn't do any defending. Um, you, You know, there are plenty of number 10s we see in MLS that do plenty of work. Um, and that's wh- actually why they're able to get by in a league that can be uh, pretty heavy on the emphasis for work rate and um, your defensive positioning and all that stuff. Um, I do wonder, um, when, going all the way back to after the playoff elimination, the question was asked of Ben Olsen whether the team had really met its – had hit a peak um, being playing the way they do and the, the roster in general – um, and he said that it was a question that required evaluation. It, he didn't say, I disagree. He said it's something we're going to have to think about. Um, and maybe something like this is with that in mind, um, where the idea could be to go to more of a 4-1-3-2 um, and give somebody who's actually a playmaker a role or, or go to a, a more pure diamond um, if, the, if this unknown player and, and the description, you know, it's an Argentine player who's in his mid-20s who plays that position. The Argentine top flight has 30 teams, so it's pretty much fruitless trying to track down who this could be. You could you could come up with a list of probably like 15 guys. Um, but the point is that if the player acquires a diamond um, and he wants to play that higher role, that's fine. Um, we could see a 4-2-3-1, and in that case, Rolf becomes something that uh, someone that we could see moved back to the left because it's a less demanding physically. Uh, the the role on the left in a four two three one is less demanding than the role in in the current four four two that he would have to play. He he could be more attack oriented at that point. Um, but that's all kind of up in the air. Um, the the main thing that becomes interesting to me is if you sign this guy with the idea, and I think the idea was to bring him in on loan and possibly pay the transfer fee if he pans out, 
which is a lot of MLS number 10 signings, a lot of MLS signings from Argentina in general have gone that way in the last few years for good reason, because we've seen so many times, especially here, um, players brought in from abroad that just don't work out. And if you buy that player, you're in trouble. Um, that's why Rafael Gladiador was brought in on loan um, to see if he would fit or not, and he didn't fit. And in my opinion, the team maybe moved too soon to uh, figure out whether he was going to fit long-term. But the point is, it wasn't working, so they had the freedom to get out of it. Um, the lo- whole loan thing is sort of a, a hedge against this whole thing going wrong. Um, that's a good idea. Um, I I am glad to see the team doing that. I'm glad to see that the trip to Argentina wasn't the only trip uh, for Dave Casper. Um, even the the trip to France apparently wasn't the only trip he's going to go on. Um, so that's that's good to hear. That's something we haven't heard in a long time. I think, if anything, that to me is the major story is that with the targeted allocation money in play, there's more of a reason to send all, you know, not just Dave Casper, but Kurt Morrison could go abroad scouting. Um, Olsen could go himself. Um, there's more of a reason to do it now because there's the league is giving you money you could spend in, in and the players, you see, you see a lot of players brought in that are above the designated player threshold, but you don't have to go get Marcelo Gallardo and pay him seven figures to come here. Um, I am interested, if they bring in a number 10 and Kitchen leaves, um, the player from Ligue 1, the front, the, or he's not actually, we don't know if he's French or not, but the player that's right. in that, that division um, has to be more of an anchor midfielder. Um, getting the fit right is really important at that point. And we've seen, you know, Marcus Halsty is a very good player, but did he fit the right profile for what this team played in 2015? I think you can argue he was the, a good player in the wrong place um, in certain ways. Um, you have to make sure that that player is a true, purely defensive midfielder in that case if Kitchen's gone, because otherwise you you have a real problem trying to play a number 10 and then play Davy Arnaud or someone that plays like Davy Arnaud in that deep role. He's not going to be able to do that. Um, and if you can't, hold down that in any kind of diamond or any situation like that, if you can't hold down that area of the field, you're going to lose a lot. You're going to get killed. Um, even look if you at, look good look going forward. Anytime Jurgen Klinsmann has tried to play the diamond for longer than a few games, well, it because just becomes he always, a sieve. Because he always gets away from playing a pure number six, or he always wants to play someone that has that experience. You know, If he doesn't play Beckerman, he ends up playing... Danny Williams has played not just in that role before. He's played on the right a little bit. Alfredo Morales has played on the left more than he's played defensive midfield. Um, I think part of the problem, too, is that Klinsman plays it with two out-and-out wingers instead of Right, he doesn't understand the formation. Yeah. Um, And and he describes it as a diamond, but then the personnel would demand more of a Y-shaped midfield where you've got wingers and a box-to-box guy rather than a 10. Um, and you tell, you know, Michael Bradley can surely play that role, but he is told, like, no, you should play as a 10, and these guys should play as shuttlers, and they're out on the touchline trying to make runs behind the fullbacks, and it, it doesn't work, because of course it doesn't work. Um, in the modern game, it, that hasn't worked for, like, 20 years. Um, but, you know, we're not... I, I don't want to talk about Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, always, it's always immediately going to make me upset. Um, yeah, there's, you know, no, there's no reason to talk about Jurgen. Let's All right, so instead, 
Instead, let's okay. let's talk about Oblivion number 10, Marco Echeverri, who we learned this week from the Washington Post's Dan Steinberg that he, he would be inducted into the DC Sports Hall of Fame, becoming the first DC United player to do so. And, and our own Ryan Kiefer uh, looked through the records and found that he would be only the third soccer player of any kind to, to be inducted into the DC Sports Hall of Fame. He was elected recently. He will be inducted in a ceremony, I think, in July of next year. So congrats to El Diablo on that front. Uh, more happy news from Clyde Sims, who it seems has an organ donor, and, and Steve Goff has a wonderful report on how this happened and how his uh, longtime friend and, and former friend um, helped facilitate it without any of Clyde's actual knowledge. So the former defensive midfielder for DC United and the New England Revolution got a kidney transplant for the second time. The first one didn't work out, unfortunately, but it sounds like this one might. We, we're all hoping, we're all crossing our fingers. Clyde's a great dude. Uh, played a lot of great games for DC United, but more importantly, seems like a great dude off the field. Um, unless you guys have anything to add on these stories or, or what we talked about earlier, we're going to take a quick break. So... Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and, yeah. And, not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, Fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Time to talk television now. Uh, we had some some, I think, frankly, good news uh, on the league front and on the local front uh, when it comes to television. First up, MLS Live will be back for 2016 when MLS signed their new TV agreement with ESPN and Fox and Univision. Uh, the word the that was reported at the time, and this was before the 2015 season. The word that was reported at the time was that ESPN would be taking over the out-of-market streaming package uh, that MLS Live has been providing for several years now. And it would be incorporated into ESPN3 and either available on its own to everybody or at least available for purchase no matter who your ISP or cable provider was. That part was good news, but... Those of us who have come to know and love MLS Live were disappointed uh, about the the possibility of losing some of the the really good features of it. None more so than our own Ben Bromley. 
So, Ben, you you did a little happy dance when this announcement came out last week that MLS Live was not yet dead. I did. I, I really dislike uh, Watch ESPN in particular. I think it's a pretty bad streaming service uh, overall. It, it hasn't updated itself since, like, the mid-2000s, and it, it's just really frustrating to work with, and it has authentication problems and all these things. And MLS Live is a specifically designed, uh, if I was a hip person of the day, I could even call it a bespoke uh, streaming service designed specifically for its its market, and it does what it does very well. Uh, condensed games are a magical thing for those of us who want to try and follow the entire league and don't have insane amounts of time like uh, Jason does to watch all the full games of everything. You make the time. By sacrificing on all other portions of your life. Some of us have spouses and or children. Yeah, I don't have those, so yeah. I have the option of pushing back. But yes, Condensed it, it, it matches, is, of course, are 20-minute long, essentially highlight packages or extended highlight packages that are yes. really fantastic ways to take in a game. You don't get all the tactical you know, they, close-ups, they, but you get to see most of the big put them together in a and they cut them together in a way that sort of reflects the game. You know, they don't. Yeah. If it, if if a game is very dominated is dominated by one team, they aren't just throwing together a highlight package to make it look like it was both teams had an even number of chances. You know, you you sort of sense that one team was running the game. Yeah, I think MLS for for the condensed matches, they basically say they they. It's almost like they rank the chances, and they say, these were the goals, we're going to show all of them, and then they just go down the list of chances until they hit the 20-minute mark and then say, that's it. Right, and, you know, there's red cards and stuff. They, yeah, that's they make true. Sure those Big moments. Moved. I should say moments more than chances. Yeah, you know, scuffles, if, if or if a you know, coach loses his mind. That sort of stuff that yeah, usually... Sometimes, sometimes they miss really big, important things, but they're usually really good. Yeah, Uh, the other big news to come out this week involves DC United and only DC United. They will no longer be shown on Comcast Sportsnet, which has shown in its current form or its previous iteration as Hometown Sports has shown DC United for 19 of the 20 years DC United has existed. Instead, DC United is moving to the Sinclair Broadcast Group, which is the largest operator of broadcast television stations in the country. Uh, and they happen to be based out of Baltimore County, Maryland. So go figure. Uh, they will be moving to Sinclair, who owns WJLA. That's ABC7 in the district. In Baltimore, Richmond, Roanoke, Hampton Roads, Charleston, West Virginia. They're, and then, you know, all over the country. Like I said, they are the biggest operator of broadcast stations in the country. They also own... News Channel 8, which is a local cable news channel here in D.C. that's also carried in the the closer-in suburbs. They're going to produce games through Sinclair's in-house sports network, which is called ASN, the American Sports Network. Um, They have traditionally, I I say traditionally, they've existed. The ASN has existed for 18 months right now. They're still a really new kind of property. And um, Sinclair is actually a relatively new owner of both WJLA and News Channel 8. They bought them from Albatron two years ago. So Sinclair's involvement in 
specifically in D.C., even though they've been in Baltimore for a while, is still and they seem to be pretty ambitious. There was word they were going to turn News Channel 8 into a national news cable news network. Who knows whether that's going to happen or not, but they do seem to be ambitious. Their sports network has focused on mid-major football and basketball in the college world, but before last year, they did sign an agreement with Real Salt Lake to air RSL games. Uh, before we get into some of the details of what happened with RSL, that I think are really interesting and pertinent to the discussion of DC United and Sinclair. Jason, what do you make of, of this deal and, and leaving CSN? Uh, I mean, a lot of it from a fan experience is going to depend on um, who's actually on the broadcast and who's in the production crew and all that, um, which, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that, like you said, in a minute, and as far as other RSL's experience with the same group. Um if the team says the the deal was too good to pass up, which is what Lindsay Simpson said uh, in the post, I believe it was in the post where uh, that mm-hmm. quote was. Yeah. Um, if that's what she said, then I tend to believe the team saying that they've got no reason to misrepresent themselves. Um, I definitely am excited about the fact that the deal involves a guarantee that all all non national TV games are on the, are going to be shown. Um, we've on had one outlet or another, yeah. Right, you know, and and you know, anyone that's been following the site for a long time knows that on an annual basis, the Comcast deal has come out, and it's been well, we'll cover 16, 17 games, and you have eight to ten national TV games. You're talking about twenty five percent of the season is not on local TV at the start of the year, and they've always picked up a few games as the season goes on. Um, but it's still you still end up with five. There's six almost always games. at least a f- couple games that right. are, fall through the cracks. Right, and for a lot of fans that aren't going to spend or don't have the ability to spend a bunch of time or even extra money to ha- track those games down, you know, MLS Live isn't very expensive for what you get. But you know, some people don't have that extra money laying around. They're not. They're on a budget. They're not going to spend it. Um, some people aren't necessarily as diehard as someone listening to this podcast because if you are, obviously you you um you know you've got some problems. Uh, and I'll, can I, and I'm saying that as a person who's recording this podcast, so you can only imagine my problems. Um, but you know there are some fans who are casual fans and they'll watch a game if it comes on. I was just talking to my friend on Saturday who is, he fits this bill perfectly. If he finds the if he's sitting around on a Saturday or Sunday and he sees the game on, he will watch it. But if it's not on a channel he gets, he's not going to do anything to track it down. And so now that the games are on a channel that, that you know, News Channel 8 is on basic cable. You don't have to pay for any extras to get that. Um, channel 7 is on over-the-air broadcast. Um, he will see it. Um, and so people like him are going to be tuning in. And like it or not, from us that spend our time in the uh, diehard bubble, the fact is that, you know, ticket sales involve almost you know, it's probably almost 50% of the people there are people that are randomly deciding I want to go to a game this week. Um, it's not actually that big of a bubble that we kind of live in. And outside of that, you, you're, this is a much more inclusive way to bring people in because they're going to be flipping through and you have cord cutters flipping through their limited channels and they're like, oh, there's DC United. That's awesome. Um, my dad is a cord cutter, so he hasn't been. He wasn't able to watch games if he didn't go to. If he didn't have time to go to a bar 
or go to someone's house to watch a game. He didn't see the games this year. Um, next season, and I was telling him about this on Monday, he will be able to just turn his TV on. He's got an antenna, and he'll be able to watch the games. He won't be able to watch the News Channel 8 games, but you know, at least on some occasions, sitting at home with no cable at all, he's in. And that, that grabs a lot of people nowadays. Um, yeah, especially when you hear about, and this is kind of on a local scale, uh, this deal, obviously, but when you hear about the the hubbub that happens when Fox shows a Champions League game or NBC shows a Premier League game on the broadcast network and not on the cable network, it's a big deal. And it's I think that holds true at the local level, too, that being on one of the core channels that goes way back and that everybody knows is is an important thing and it's it's a big deal even if a lot of games get pushed to news channel 8 um the fact that that some significant portion of games will be on WJLA is right a big deal for DC United and DC United's fans a potentially a potential problem with this deal that that people have brought up especially people from Richmond like you Ben or people who live in Hampton Roads or in Baltimore yeah. um has has been that they got CSN. That was part of their cable network. CSN Mid-Atlantic covered basically all of Virginia and all of Maryland. WJLA does not. If you live in Richmond, your cable package probably does not include DC's ABC affiliate. Nope. And this is where the experience with RSL comes in, I think. Because as part of the deal with RSL, Sinclair pushed... RSL's games, not just to Salt Lake City, but all over the what what they refer to as the Intermountain West. They got RSL games every week in Boise, in Albuquerque, in Reno, in Las Vegas, and they even pushed some to some Arizona stations. They pushed them all over and dramatically yeah. increased their footprint. And when when I see DC United. And, and Lindsay Simpson, who's their spokesman, spokesperson, I should say, uh, talking about this deal being too good to pass up, I have to think that it involves spreading the reach of DC United and over, whether it be over the air or, or on cable. They, Sinclair can push, because they own stations in Baltimore, in Richmond, in Roanoke, in Hampton Roads, Norfolk. They can say, listen, we are going to put the game on every week unless there's, you know, a college football game or an NFL con. Well, not NFL because ABC doesn't carry NFL games, but in, unless there's a, a really big conflict uh, that is unavoidable, we will put you over the air on our main feed in all of these stations. And that basically covers the population centers of, of the Mid-Atlantic. And that's a big deal, too. And hopefully... And I, we, we haven't gotten any confirmation on this, but hopefully that is what is happening here. I mean, I, I, I would hope so. I would think that they wouldn't – I mean, obviously over the air in D.C. is a big deal, and they would be foolish to pass that up regardless. But to describe it as too good to be – like too good to pass up, I would feel like they would have to have some sort of distribution in those areas that CSN Mid-Atlantic – uh, traditionally cover. I, I, I wouldn't. I couldn't imagine that they would. And, and beyond. But yes, I couldn't imagine they would give up everything outside of WJLA and News Channel 8's distribution range, where before they were, CSN was giving them 
so much more range. Right, so. especially because we know it wasn't a dollars and cents issue because right. Steve yeah. Goff reported that that this is not a, that Sinclair is not paying for these rights in cash. It's not not you know some million dollar deal that is going to be a windfall for the team. It's it sounds like it's a reach issue is what made this a, yeah. a really good deal for the team. So that and the fact that they get you know pregame and postgame shows and also yeah, a chance for awesome. a weekly show, which right. could be cool. And hey, um, Deep United, if you're listening and you want Filibuster to get involved with that weekly show, we do a weekly show right now. So I, I will say we have faces for radio, but we're, we're happy to provide voiceover services whenever you need it. I'm pretty sure all three of us can tie a tie. Um, I know I, Adam. I, I, the, silence was sure. the, the silence yeah. was us agreeing there. Yeah. I grew up going to Catholic school. I can definitely tie a tie. Okay. Um, one thing I will add from um, a more realistic uh, angle is that um, when you mention this, the places that Sinclair broadcast RSL games in, um, the city of Boise, Idaho was actually briefly a place that Seattle considered um, when they thought about their USL2 team. They did think for a little while about branching that far out and sort of trying to grab um, eastern Washington State and, and Idaho as um, and bring them in as more uh, Sounders friendly. So Sinclair was picking a city that, you know, on some level in MLS was a city that other people had interest in. Um, another team had interest in. So they pushed into another market that was, uh, you know, up for grabs, so to speak. Um, and, and obviously I'm just speculating, but it does kind of indicate that they're going to be willing or at least, uh, you know, they're really going to try to make sure that games are put in a large footprint. They're not just trying to get the DC, you know, the close in DC and that's it. Um, they're not going to leave out you know, a city as big as Richmond or a city as big as Baltimore, um, Hampton Roads, all all those all of those places. I would be surprised if um, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, if they didn't get um, brought in. I don't know if they have affiliates there, but they do. They yeah. yeah. So if they have them, all of those those population centers that have broadcast networks, if they've got the affiliate there, I don't see why you wouldn't. Um, and based on their previous behavior, I, I'm optimistic that they would go for that because. Um, I don't know the mileage of the distance between Salt Lake City and Boise, but I imagine just because it's in the American West that it's significantly larger than the distance between D.C. and Richmond, for example. Um, yes. So, you know, when you're a broadcaster like that, you want to bring in as many viewers as you can. It's to your benefit to add these Especially other cities. Especially when you're handling part of the production costs right. you know, of it. You may as well... Yeah. Ship it out to as um, much distribution as you can because that part's free. Yeah, so uh, it would it would shock me if I would be shocked if any of the cities we brought up were left off um, down the road. I mean, it might be a while before we hear about it, but um, at the very least, it's going to be Baltimore and Richmond. There's no good explanation for not doing it there. At least, no explanation that I'm aware of. Um, but even further out than that, you know, there's 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 no competition, so you might as well grab grab those viewers and uh, get their eyeballs pointed at the screen to watch some soccer. And something that, that Sinclair's been aggressive about doing is when there is a conflict or when there is less interest in the market, they'll use the the .2 and .3 streams 
for a station. So over-the-air stations, if you don't have an antenna on your TV, you might not know this, but with the with digital broadcasting now, they can do multi-streams. And so I actually watched uh, part of Georgia State versus um, Southern Mississippi in basketball in Conference USA this weekend on ABC7 on their third stream, which was in ASN feed. So I got to see a little bit of what the future of DC United might look like uh, on television just with the graphics package and everything. And it was on 7.3 uh, because nobody wanted to watch it, but they had a stream, so they may as well put it up. So it, it might be the thing where if there is a conflict, they, they still, or if it is a far-flung market, they still might find a way to get it on the air in places as far away as North Carolina. Who knows? Um, so it is exciting, and there's a lot of potential there. Obviously, we don't have a lot of answers. One question I know lots of DC United fans are asking is whether Dave Johnson will be on board because he's been the voice of DC United basically for the team's whole history. From my understanding, from what was reported on the, the deal, is DC United has 100% control over who does play-by-play -play and commentary. And... I assume that means that Dave Johnson stands a good chance of, of coming back. He would be, if I had to guess, he will be in the booth. I hope that's the case. I want that to be the case. I think it will be the case that Dave Johnson will be calling It's in the Net in 2016. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if he is not the entire list right now. Um, I think the situation would be like if he, for whatever reason, says no, then you have to come up with a new list. But, um, yeah, I would be I would be awfully shocked if... He wasn't doing it because we know Dave Johnson loves covering DC United. We've had him on the show, um, and and he's done that in a market where, for many of those years, it wasn't an easy sell for him um, to be a multi-sports uh, broadcaster voice that everyone's familiar with, but for him to always be wanting to do soccer as well. Um, I can only imagine that he came in, you know, he ran into some conflicts over the years because people were like, why are you doing this? Um, and so, yeah, I, I would be floored if we weren't hearing Dave Johnson and Santino Quaranta as well, I would expect is is um, probably also the, the head of the play-by-play or the color list because, um, you know, you didn't hear people complaining about the broadcasts on CSN um, and what people are going to complain about when they watch a soccer broadcast is primarily the announcers. If you spend any time on Twitter during a soccer game, you know that announcing complaints are going to be the major complaint as far as how a game is presented. Um, I will say CSN, there was always some, oh, the, the order of the teams. It's the smallest, littlest thing. Mm. They, they use in every other American sport yes. order of the teams where the home team is listed second instead yeah. of first, which in soccer, the home team is always listed first. In CSN here, CSN in Boston... Uh, when they do Revs games, they always, always, always list the home team second. And it's just a, a, a weird Comcast thing that NBCSN gets away from, even though they use the same graphics package. They do it correctly. CSN does not, and it, it always bothers me. But Dave Johnson never has and never will. Um, unfortunately, I don't know whether uh, another good friend of the, our show... Uh, Sebastian Salazar will be able to keep doing DC United games. I I haven't talked to him about it. Um, hopefully he will be able to be involved in some way, but I know he he works directly for Comcast Sportsnet, yeah. not 
freelancing, doing play-by-play for radio and TV, um, where he can the way Dave Johnson does. So we'll see what what happens there. Hopefully he can stay involved somehow, but I'm less confident than I am with, with my hope that Dave Johnson will will stay involved with DC United and will be the voice of DC United. Obviously we're we're speculating here. Don't don't read into this any yeah, we don't actually know any any kind of reporting or anything. This is us on a podcast speculating. Doing for their yeah, we, we don't know what those guys are doing for their career. We just hope that they're involved because we like them. Yeah, exactly. Let's turn our attention now to players. Let's let's, you know, focus on on players on the field. We've got a couple awards to to hand out. Uh, every year at blackandredunited.com we hand out the Benny Awards and this is an award whose title predates Ben Olsen as a coach. It predates Black and Red United. Uh, it goes way back to our founder also, Martin Schatzer's old website. Also, the voting is still open, so don't let what we say tonight prevent you from voting. In fact, let it encourage you to vote. Yes. Uh, the first award we're going to discuss tonight is the Andy Award, named for Andy Nahar. Uh, it is a combination of the of previous years, what were the Andy and the Nelly, named for Ryan Nelson, uh, for the best rookie and the best newcomer. This is just the best newcomer, which includes rookies, uh, this year. The candidates are Marcus Halstey, Alvaro Sabarito, Sabarillo, uh, Jairo Arrieta, and Miguel Aguilar. Um, ben, who gets your pick this year for the best newcomer? I'm pretty sure I voted for Miguel Aguilar just because, based on not his performance overall, which wouldn't necessarily get this award, but mostly for his performance plus his youth and his potential. Uh, everyone you else. You just love that he helped us win the Dillo. Well, the Dillo and his CCL performance, and the fact that he's only 22, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone else on that list is over 30 and had other problems. So yes, I voted Miguel Aguilar. I actually went with Sabo for this. He had the he he came in and a lot of people were disappointed, but in his I think proper role at this point in his career as a super sub, he was hugely impactful. He had sure. he had the best goals per ninety minutes performance on the team over the course of the year, and a disproportionate number of his goals came in when he came on onto the field late in the game as a substitute for a twenty minute or half hour performance. He was the most impactful player on the roster, and I think that is his role and. Uh, he should be recognized for that, and so he got my vote. Jason, who gets yours? Uh, well, I guess it's the second week in a row. We're going to have actually uh, a full disagreement. Um, I'm going to go on the basis of the full season. I'm going to go with Jairo Arrieta. Um, I think Arrieta played a crucial role in the early part of the season. The team got off to a very good start o- overall. Um, he was a, a big part of that. Um, he was the second leading scorer across all competitions on the roster. Um, obviously, he fell into a position where he wasn't getting used very much down down the stretch um, after Saborio came aboard, um, and and also after Rolf and Espindola established that they were the best forward pairing to start games on the team. Um, but when Arrieta did play, he was still a factor, and he was often a factor in not just scoring goals, but scoring goals that changed the result. He scored a few game winners, a few equalizers. Um, the 
equalizer against New England when they were down to nine men comes to mind. Um, he scored in the Champions League. He scored the first goal in the three-goal comeback against Waterhouse. Um, he he made himself a nuisance to the other team, which is always his calling card. Um, he was frustrating at times because of his tendency to go offside, but I think he also fit the profile of what this team needs out of a forward. Um, and for what his his job from the start was always to be not a starter. Um, with mm-hmm. a spindle suspended, the idea was like, well, we need a veteran to fill those, you know, for those six games, and then after that, he'll be a guy that makes the bench and plays a lot, but doesn't start. Um, and I think he filled that role well. Um, it's a it's a flawed group. Um, in every every single player, you can come up with a a reasonable argument why that player shouldn't have won. Um, you know, Halstead is probably the most talented of the entire group, but um, he doesn't really fit the profile of, of the team necessarily or the position that he has. Saborio is a, a big name player, but isn't a starter. Um, Aguilar has the most potential, but you know, he was on the field the least of, of all of those guys. So it's a tricky group to parse and you can really any, really it's one of those where any vote is, there's no vote where it's like, why would you vote for this person? We weren't filling in. This was more of a, who do you pick? Because it's actually complicated because everyone has a flaw that you can pick at. Yeah, it wasn't such, as much of a runaway as, say, when Andy Nahar came into the league yes. and won uh, the award one, by so much that we had to rename had, it for him. Yes, yep. it was clear that that was the only thing that could happen there. Uh, the the next award has debate not just about who should win it, but also the correct pronunciation of it. It's named for Matthias Donette, um, but I'm calling it the Donity Award because that's how it looks when it's written down. It as goes well, to should. it goes to the biggest disappointment of the year. Um, what year was Matthias Donette on the team? 2006 he, for the end the end of the back half of 2000. Not even the back half really. He was a summer late summer window. 2006 signing. Um, he had played. been at Boca Juniors, um, so he came in with a lot of, of cred because his last club had been Boca Juniors. But uh, he played eight games on a team that needed. He was playing. He was a 4-4-2 right midfielder, and we were playing 3-5-2 at the time. It clearly did not fit, and he was making the kind of money you would expect for someone that had played at Boca Juniors. So it didn't work. Um, I still maintain that. If the formation had been different, he would have fit in very well. But he did only his his only goal was against the Red Bulls, so he fits right but in. Anyway. That. that was a Peter Novak team, right? Yeah, that was still that was still that was Peter Novak uh, his final season uh, at that point. The nominees for the biggest disappointment, the Donity, are uh, Fabiana Spindola, Michael Seaton, Luis Silva, Marcus Halstey. He he gets double duty on awards tonight. And Michael Farfan, lots of disappointment, uh, depending on on how you want to define it. Jason, we'll start with you this time. Who gets your vote? Uh, This is a really tough one. Um, In each case, I have a disappointment. In some cases, it has nothing to do with the player. Um, uh, It's it's a difficult one, because I never actually voted, so I didn't actually spend... I feel like (laughs) you're the guy at the table when you're at a restaurant who's like, oh, come back to me. I'll figure it out Um, when everyone else orders. Uh, occasionally, um, but I think in this case, my biggest disappointment is it. I'm going to go with Seaton, and it's not necessarily because of a criticism. I mean, there are criticisms of Michael Seaton. Um, he's still, 
I think overestimates where he is as a player currently. If you if you judge his um, sometimes cryptic tweets, um, I think he maybe overestimates himself. Um, but I'm also disappointed that he wasn't given the opportunity to prove that his confidence is is that founded. Um, I'm disappointed that a local player is already gone um, after you know not very much time here. Um, on the field, you know, there's not really – you can't say that he was disappointed because he wasn't on the field. Um, I'm even disappointed that his loan spell – he ended up walking into a bad situation in Sweden where the team was bad itself, and they ended up firing their coach that, that he thought he was going to be working under, and they had to cancel the loan early because he wasn't playing. The situation was a mess. Um, so I, I'm disappointed about the circumstances that surround him. Um, but you could argue uh, Marcus Halstey because he was the team's one big acquisition, and he didn't really fit. He was not a bad Jason, player by any means. He just don't, doesn't. Fit. Don't steal my argument from me, because I, I, I am every bit as disappointed as you uh, with not in Michael Seaton, but with what happened with Michael Seaton. Um, I, I was as big on this kid as as anybody, but it sounded like he just. It was after a certain point, it just wasn't going to work for him with DC United, and the best thing for all parties involved was a split, and that was sad and disappointing because when he came in, it it seemed like a, there was reason for optimism on all sides, and it just didn't work out that way. I ended up voting for Halstey just because with his pedigree in the European Champions League and... Don't, don't, with, don't take my argument, but I'm going to make a completely different argument. Well, no, he was starting to get into Halsty, which is where I stopped him because Halsty is my is is who I actually voted for, um, because I think he was the biggest disappointment on the field for me, and that's that's how I based my voting, and I think he would probably agree with that. He said that that this was not a, a 2015 was not a good reflection on who he actually is as a player, and he can do a lot better. And I think that there's a reason to think that's true, considering he's played and, and shown well as a defensive midfielder in the European Champions League um, and with a championship side in Sweden. So uh, the fact that he came in and never quite found his footing, and injuries were a part of that, but but they were less a part of it than some other players on this list. And some of it was just he really didn't look good out there late in the year. He just, even when he was paired with Kitchen, it just... It wasn't working for whatever reason, and that was a big disappointment for me. Ben, who who got your vote? Well, we have a non-consensus klaxon once again because uh, I voted for Fabiana Spindola, and mostly it was based on what he provided last year based, uh, and then compared to what he provided this year. Uh, and some of it is probably a, a tiny bit unfair based on uh, again on his suspension that came at the end of last year and how that affected this year, but that suspension plus his injuries plus just I think he was trying to make up for those things in his play and trying to force things too hard and he just he played in in half of DC United's games this year and just even if even if the numbers look fairly decent for someone who played 17 games he just it didn't feel like he had as good a year as he did last year and so compared to himself and compared to what we know he can do, I voted for Fabian Spindler. 
So for those of you uh, interested in how the voting is going right now, Miguel Aguilar leads the voting for the Andy, and Marcus Halstead leads the voting for the Donity right now. A lot of time still to for that to change, so go over to blackandredunited.com, look for the Benny Awards, and you'll be able to vote on these yourself. Uh, the other voting series we have going on right now at the website is our season review series, something I like to call Cake or Death, uh, where we ask whether we want a player back for 2016 or not. And and today we're going to get through the last four players on the roster um, and really quickly go through, because I don't think there's a whole lot to debate. There's a lot to discuss, but not lightning a lot round? to debate. Yeah, sure, we'll call this a lightning round. Remember, lightning round is all caps and has an exclamation point at the end, so you have to say it correctly. You have to pronounce it lightning properly. Round. It's the lightning round. And and so we will start our lightning round with Jalen Robinson, homegrown defender, center back, right back, who knows. Uh, ben, Jalen Robinson, cake or death? Goat. That's cake. Jason? Uh, this is a very easy decision. It's clearly goat. It's clearly cake. Yeah, everyone, everyone agrees. All of these are going to be, for me, they were really easy, but we'll see. Uh, Chris Rolfe, Jason, cake or death? Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, clearly go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben? Clearly life. Okay, okay. We're not even going to... Yeah, obviously Cake. He's the team's MVP this year. Um, and we haven't even gotten to the Etchy Award. Uh, that'll come later. Uh, Alvaro Sabarillo. This is going to be the most polarizing one on the, the site anyway. Let's see how it goes here. He gets Cake from me. Ben? Goat. Jason? Uh, I guess Goat. I just wish he would do a little more, because he's going to have to start games. This is a lightning well, round, Jason. Be quicker. Uh, yeah, but it's it, life is complicated. <laughs> well, hopefully he'll do, even if he does the same thing. I express my thought in one sentence. You should be very happy. That's hopefully, fair. That's ho- really fair. Hopefully he'll do what he, at the very least what he did this year at a much lower salary than what he did this year. So. All right, last name on the list. Travis Wara, third string goalkeeper, cake or death. Ben? Oh, a, a gloriously pompadoured get. I'm just really distracted now. Jason, help me. Come back. Uh, a, a hero in the community goat. He was humanitarian of the year. I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. <laughs> I, I knew that. Um, yeah, also also kick for me. He's a, he's a solid third-string goalkeeper. Stepped in the part of one game he had to this year, so so he gets cake for me, and I'm really, really sorry on behalf of my co-hosts for not just picking one uh, system of judgment and sticking with it. You guys have to hear we have three. We have goat. Three. At or, least three. Yeah, so I and apologize to all listeners for everything. For When you hear goat, it's their way of saying cake. They just can't help themselves. They're children. What about River? River or Life? Nobody says... Martin's the only one who says that, and he won't come on the show anymore. Martin, if you want to come on the show, email us. Martin, we miss you. We'll have you on. Obviously we'll have him. He was an original co-host of the show. He was a co-host of this podcast. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com, of course. We're on Twitter as well, filibusterdcu or at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters. We accept hate mail. We love hate mail. 
to we, we love hate mail to a surprising degree. We love advertising inquiries even more though. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Mostly though, tell a friend about us between now and our next episode, and we will love you forever. So uh until next week. Uh, I'm Adam, and for for Jason and Ben, we will see you real soon in the most awkward sign-off in (laughs) history. So say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. (laughs)